Hey everyone, this is Jordan Van Trump, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Just wanted to let everyone know this podcast is sponsored by the company I started right out of college called AgSwag. I'm sure like many of the other disruptors on this podcast, I started this company searching for cooler stuff and better service. One of my first tasks when I got out of college was finding some cool hats for my dad's business, as my family and their friends always struggled to source quality swag throughout the years. I started this company only making a few hats and have been fortunate enough to meet some of the top business leaders in the ag industry along the way. I've worked with some of the biggest disruptors currently in the space, such as FBN, Benson Hill, Pivot Bio, Pattern Ag, Holganics, as well as many veterans, such as Cargill, Nutrien, Dairy Farmers of America, Kent Corp, CGB, Helena, and the list goes on and on. Throughout this journey of providing swag to various companies in agriculture, I've had the opportunity to learn some of the best business lessons, hacks, marketing strategies, and many other things to take my company to scale and become more successful throughout the years. My intentions of this series is to bring on guests that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years to tell their story and hopefully help you build your business in the future. Hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. We're on here today with Willard Jack and Jeremy Jack with Silent Shade Planting Company. Uh, Their uh, farm began in 1979 when Willard and Laura Jack immigrated from Ontario to the Mississippi Delta. They uh, now grow cotton, corn, soybeans, and rice. And uh, with that, I'd like to welcome both of them to the show. Thanks for having us today. We appreciate the opportunity to visit. Yep. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on. So I guess I guess let's uh, start this podcast off with Willard kind of telling us uh, if you could share like what like what was going on in Canada were you guys farming before this and kind of why you guys ventured down to the south of the United States so uh, yeah I was born and raised and farmed until I was I was 29 coming up 30 when I moved to the Mississippi Delta uh, the reason for the move was we were looking together the opportunity to put the larger blocks of land together. Um, Mississippi Delta at that time, there was still is, there's a lot of 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 acre blocks. Uh, there was ability to water. We had a lot of water here. Uh, it wasn't overly developed. There was lots of potential and lots of t- opportunities, we thought, at that time to move here. So we picked up stakes, moved ahead. A daughter and a son just born and moved here in the fall of 79 and went home for a little while that winter. And my wife was expecting, had her second child. And upon the birth of my second child, moved down here and, and uh, started over fresh. So it was quite a challenge back in the day, but it's been very rewarding to us. So, so did you guys get started right, like kind of right in the middle of the farm crisis or? Just about as we couldn't plan it any poorer if I had to. We hit right there in the early 80s. We had a drought, uh, borrowed money, interest rates went to 23%. Everything you could go wrong went wrong. Of course, you know, as I told somebody, that's an opportunity. You know, you have to understand that when things are bad, you look around and try to figure out what, to, where can you go from here? We couldn't go down, so we, we kind of struggled a little bit. Took some opportunities. There were some opportunities come along. Started grade land, buy some more land, and just see if we couldn't double down. You know, it's kind of like gambling. You you get down, so you double down to see if you can't go again. Yeah, I remember uh, my grandpa always said, 
you know, when I was starting out, he's like, that's when you got to take risks. You got to take risks when, uh, you know, things are bad and it's against you. He said, doesn't hurt very bad falling out of the basement window, you know. It, it hurts a little worse when you're way up high. So <laughs> I always remember that. He's right. You got to take risks down there So for sure. So, good stuff. So what did uh... – You don't have any. Nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing to lose. So, what'd you guys uh like? What? How many uh acres you guys start with when you first started the farm down there? And like, what were down you, here? What were you growing too? So when we moved down here, we were growing a thousand acres of cotton. Uh, within a year, I got to grow a little bit of rice and a little bit of of uh, cotton, as well as soybeans. Big crop of soybeans when we started. And we got to grow cotton and rice. We got to put some irrigation in. Uh, within three or four years, we bought some land and started to grade it and grow straight levied rice. And and uh, then it got to grow a little bit of corn, likely one of the earlier corn farmers in the Mississippi Delta. So we just kept kept working away and, and uh, kept, kept pounding on that irrigation and improvement of the land. So that's kind of where we... We just started from there and worked on forward to where we're at today. And what? Uh, so you were guys. You guys were one of the early corn growers. What were? Uh, why weren't? Why wasn't very many people growing corn down there? Well, back in the day, there likely wasn't very many varieties that were suitable to grow. Uh, our climate wasn't isn't still isn't the best place to grow corn. And the government, everybody here was either a cotton grower or a rice grower. Nobody claimed to even be a soybean grower, let alone a, a corn grower. So that was very, very, you know, the, it was just foreign to everybody here. Everybody grew cotton or rice. That was the two crops that grew. What, um, so what was it like, Jeremy, uh, if you want to jump in the conversation, what was it like growing up on the farm back then? You know, growing up in the the early '80s, early '80s, I would say, and it was it wasn't really all sunshine and rainbows. Um, it was a um, a tough time, but you know, we didn't know any different. It could have been just as uh, pleasant as my kids growing up now, and uh, a lot. I don't know if now's a good time to grow up either. I'll put it that way. But uh, we all grew up working on the farm. My brother, my sister, and I, from a young age, uh, we helped out where we could. I don't know if we were much help, but we were we were out there. Uh, uh, we learned to irrigate. We learned to uh, uh, cultivate. You know, as I told someone, for numerous summers, my brother and I uh, walked rice levees and set rice gates and uh, carried around irrigation pipe and irrigated corn, soybeans, and cotton. And my sister uh, mixed chemicals on a uh, for the cultivators and hauled water back and forth. Um, you know, we, uh, technology and efficiency and uh, productivity with equipment has changed dramatically. And we've improved our systems a lot. I always tell someone back then we worked really hard, but we never accomplished a lot every day. If you look at what you can do with a, a high boy sprayer or a planter in today's time, or we don't even put levees in our rice field now. So there was, you know, half of my child or a quarter of my childhood is just gone. We don't even do those practices anymore. And I think a lot of it, a lot of the reasons we don't is we did those things and we had to find better ways of doing it, newer ways of doing it, because it costs too much money to, to do them and, as labor got more expensive. Or as uh, my dad said, we all got, re got ready to go to college and he had to we had to figure out easier ways of doing this because there was no more kids to come back to the farm to work anymore. And uh, But, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I enjoyed uh, my time on the farm and it helped us uh, uh, to learn and have a work ethic. And um, uh, But like I said, it was really hot 
and really hard uh, back then. And I tell the guys now that they have no idea how easy they have it, you know, when it's 110 degrees outside and 100% humidity. I was like, this is easy. I mean, there's, you get to get in the air conditioner a little bit. You know, we do, there's a rollout pipe and that you don't have to carry an irrigation pipe around or carry a, a, a pivot tire all the way out to the middle of a cornfield. Uh, just uh, a lot harder back then than it was uh, than it was today in today's time. Yeah, I think as parents, too, we all try to make it a little bit easier on our kids and hopefully they didn't have to do it as hard as we had to do it. I tell everybody, hell, I remember throwing hay for a penny a bale for a long time and uh, shit, I'd work all day and be out there dying and get done. You get like five bucks, you know, if you if you were lucky. So I, I'm telling you, it definitely has gotten uh, a little different and a lot easier. I would say that for sure. So. Yeah, we, I remember we had uh, when Palmer Amaranth became resistant to Roundup uh, you know, the kid, kid we grew up, uh, and there was always, you know, went out and you had to chop cotton, you had velvet leaf, you had cockerburs, and there was these weeds out in the field that you chopped, and you didn't really, I would say, you never felt like you did, a, it was a lot of hard work, but you, you felt like you could see progress across the field to get those escapes out. I took a crew of 10 guys uh, out to a soybean field, and we worked really hard for four hours. Everybody was pissed off and we didn't look like we'd done a thing. And we had, you know, like this doesn't work anymore. But what happened when we were young, but we could do this, but we can't do this anymore. I hear you. I agree. You don't think you, uh, 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 you and Jordan could go throw some hay bales for a penny a piece? Well, I can go throw some, but I'd be done pretty damn quick. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I tell my wife, I said, I remember working with the old boys and I'd be like, man, these old guys got to get in here and you know, shit, it'd be a hundred degrees and some of them bail that hay wet as hell and it'd be heavy, you know? And I'm like, get off that tractor, come down here and help me. You know? And they were, you know, they're probably in their fifties, sixties and hell now I said, no, nah, I ain't getting off no tractor to come down and throw you <laughs> throw away. So I hear you. It definitely, uh, it definitely changes as we get older. Um, look back, but yeah, I, I'm with you though. It was, it was always fun to look back and, shit you'd work a whole day. I mean you know we'd work from sun up till sundown and you know you'd think you'd never make any progress and at the end of the day kick back with some lemonade or something look back across there and you did a whole whole lot of work so it was always rewarding I thought and you know I think a lot of kids these days too a lot of them have all this anxiety and all kinds of other stuff I, I feel like they got out there and just you know did a lot of hard work I shit I don't remember having any when I was young that's for damn sure so just working all the time you're you're way too tired to have uh, time to think about anything else. You're right. You're right. So, so uh, so you left. So you, you left the farm, Jeremy. After you went off to college, did you play football at Mississippi State, or that's that's correct. Uh, um, we always made the joke that work was so hard that you know SEC football practice seemed like a dream. Uh, so my brother and I, we both uh, uh, we played a, a little bit of JUCO and we played on uh, at Mississippi State and. We used the words play as we were on the team. Uh, we did letter, but we were not, you know, starters, all-stars, or you, you have, we had a number where, but yeah, I think there's a hundred numbers on the football team too. So there's only 12 <laughs> guys that play. We were one of the ones on the first, we were a higher number than the other guys, but it was, it was good. You know, as I told someone to think of growing up on a farm and every day you get up to go to work and then you go to college. And uh, when you played football, you, you or you had something like that that was so demanding, you never really had time to stop and, like you said, have anxiety, this, that, and the other. You had, you know, practice at 5 o'clock in the morning or wait at 5 o'clock, and then 
you'd run in the mornings or work out, and then you had to come back for film for at least an hour a day, and then you had a three- to four-hour practice in the afternoon. It didn't leave just a whole lot of time besides by the time you went to class, did your homework, you were back to practice again. And uh, I told someone I played all throughout undergrad and graduate school, and then my last semester I didn't have to uh, play football anymore. And I was like, I had no idea college was that much fun. Uh, but it's probably a good thing I didn't know it was that much fun. I wouldn't have been there for as long as I was. I wouldn't have, would have been back to the farm probably a lot quicker. But it, it was, I think it was good for me to, uh, to help keep the discipline. And then when I got out of college, you know, grow up on a farm, you build a lot of discipline. You do a, a sport or an activity that re requires that much discipline. You just kind of, that becomes the way you build life. And it was, it was good for me. And I would say my brother also. And Give a shout out to my sister. She was in the band, so uh, we became uh, Mississippi State fans uh, pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. And then after after school, did you go to did you go to work in D.C. or was that your brother? Or? That that was me. That was me. That uh, uh, went up and uh, worked for Senator Thad Cochran, um, and uh, well, it was a short period of time uh, during that time uh, that I was up there, and that's actually where uh, I met my wife Elizabeth was in the office. She was about three offices down from there. Uh, and uh, she did not go to Mississippi State, so we did not run in the same circles. And we always make the joke that I came from a farm and went to Mississippi State. And she came from the city and went to Ole Miss. And we had to meet in D.C. because we were completely out of our elements, uh, especially myself, to uh, uh, get to, to where we'd go on a, on a date together. And uh, But it, it worked out well for us. And, uh, um, you know, the one thing that uh, we, we talk about is We've even discussed this on the farm. Um, the thing is, is the my brother he decided he didn't want to come back to the farm, and he went to the uh, turf grass business in South Florida. My sister didn't want to come back to the farm originally. She went and got her accounting degree and was an accountant, and uh, uh, and I went to D.C. because I enjoyed uh, uh, policy work and uh, politics. And uh, but when I was up there, two things happened. Dad's health was. Uh, uh, he was going through some cancer treatments around that time, and it was uh, it was tough on him. And uh, there was there might not have been a farm to come back to if I didn't want to uh, uh, to come back to. So I came on back. But as the, the decision was, is do I want to really live in an area like Washington D.C. and raise and grow, grow a family there, or do I want to farm and raise and grow a family on a farm? And that was the main decision maker. I didn't have a family at the time. Uh, it, that wouldn't come for years later, but I knew down the road that that was the lifestyle, uh, that was the career uh, that I wanted, was something that I could teach my kids how to work like my parents taught us how to do. And uh, uh, not that you have just a whole lot of flexibility. It's not like there's a four-month vacation time and uh, uh, it's an eight-to-five uh, job that you get to work remotely. You work remotely, but it's just out of the office in the fields. Um, and that's one of the things that I think was uh, uh, and, uh, interesting to me. And then my sister uh, was the second to come back to the operation. Uh, she had young kids, and tax season was very demanding, and uh, the farm allowed her flexibility uh, somewhat. She probably works harder than she did the whole year instead of just that the whole during the tax season. But uh, uh, it, you get a lot more enjoyment of owning your own business and working in the, I think, in the agriculture, in the agricultural world. But also you have that flexibility of a, having a good team to where you can leave and someone can fall in for you. So it's, uh, it's a plus, plus, it's a win-win. And then 
Elizabeth would convince her to come back to, as she says, do all the things that we didn't want to do. <laughs> That's a good one. That's how we did it. I mean, my wife ended up getting a big time job in Chicago and hell, we didn't, I didn't know anything about trading. I was working for the NFL at the time and they hired me in Chicago basically because I was tall and big and everybody could see me. And they said you could get orders off a lot easier at the exchange and shit. Then we had kids and, you know, we just, nothing against Chicago. It's a fun place to visit. We just didn't want to uh, raise the kids there and grow up there. So we moved back to a small hometown where we, we grew up and that was kind of the main reason there, you know, we just wanted to, to raise the kids more rural environment and uh, you know, just, have them get out there and work and do a lot of things we did growing up. So yeah, similar type story, but yeah, we're glad we did. We're glad we did. So it's all worked out for the best. Well, I've always said there's, it's the most rewarding and probably the most challenging thing you'll ever do is working with your family. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, very true. We're learning that as we go on the fly, Jeremy, we have several <laughs> ag businesses. We start up now my daughter's coming back home. She was up in New York. She, she wanted to test that out for a while. She got her big time architect degree and she was up there in New York, you know, she was working out of the world trade center. And then last week, uh, you know, she moved home about a month ago. And then last week we had her up in Wisconsin at a farm show. And she's like, what in the hell has happened here from the big city <laughs> office out to the old farm shows. It's, it's definitely, she's going to be a uh, well-rounded. So just like you guys. You're so lucky. So exactly. So lucky. <laughs> Too funny. So. So what the uh, what the farm looked like when you uh, went back to it, Jeremy? I would say you know um, uh, my parents had really you know as that mentioned earlier he had, they had put together a uh, they'd come down here for uh, the opportunity of growth and uh, through the years as a family we all we worked really close together. Mom and Dad put a lot of time and, uh, and effort into building a really strong foundation for us that had a, a good trucking. We have a trucking company also that had uh, a trucking company that had a reputation of great service and uh, they ran it very, very, and it was based off the size of the operation. So it was never going to be bigger than the size of the operation needed or smaller, but it was based off of what the needs of the, the farm. And, uh, but it had a reputation of doing work outside the farm uh, that uh, is still, that we, we, we based the business off today. And they had a, an operation that my mother and dad could uh, uh, live off and they were able to send all of us to, to school off of and we came back and, and helped them whenever we can, but they did a lot of good work with that. And we came back and uh, I would say one of the things, dad uh, sent me off to uh, 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 TPAP, probably the first or second year I came back and said, you know, if you're gonna run the farm, you need to know, understand how to run a farm. And uh, he sent me over to see uh, Danny Kleinfelter. Uh, and uh, uh, first first night there, I, I, the first time I went there, I actually spent just a lot of time with uh, uh, Danny and uh, learned so much from him and had so much to owe from him. And it was probably, you know, outside of college and, and uh, local people. It was the first time person I've met someone outside that just really spent a lot of time and understood agriculture really well. And uh, Danny's uh, had gotten to be a really close uh, uh, friend of ours and owe a lot to him. But so when we came back, I took all the, the ideas and thoughts that we had that, out there uh, and uh, we started bringing them into the operation and we started hitting growth. And about that time, Stacy came back and we continued to hit more growth. And I would think we probably grew six times of what we were, uh, about four times of what we were when we first came back. 
trucking business doubled over the next 10 years and we grew more had more grain bins um uh, that we added and how you know we had a long discussion yesterday about where we need to where our next growth is so i don't we grew tremendously in acres we grew tremendously in complexity of the operation but i feel like we've got a uh we've got more safeguards in place we have more people in place we're not as um when i say one thing that bothered us is when, uh, my dad bothered him when he came back and said he'd gotten sick well who's going to come back and run the farm and then uh as he's uh, my parents are uh, uh retired now and we're back now we're like well we've got to have multiple people behind uh we have to have multiple depths in the operation because we can't have the operation stop because of one person and so we have the more uh, more people here uh, uh backing up everybody else we've put a, a really good team together and our, our growth now is not just in size as far as sheer number of acres or sheer number of pounds but it's also how can we get better at what we're doing how can we gain efficiencies how can we do this by producing the uh, having the least amount of cost in each pound of product that we're applying so you know i hate to say the the, the word but a factory farm but i mean factories are very efficient manufacturers and uh, we're trying to do the same thing as we're trying to manufacture a good quality corn product cotton product rice product soybean crop product that is safe for the end user and uh uh, use the least amount of inputs in, as we can in there. Makes sense. So what, uh, what other businesses do you guys have? The trucking, the farming, or said the row crops, and is that mainly the main two? Those would be the, the main two. We have uh, ownership, as Dad mentioned earlier, into a, a cotton gin, and we have ownership into an aerial application uh, business also. Okay. Our, our main two that are uh, that are uh, under uh, that are our big ones are the farm and the uh, the trucking. Okay. You guys doing anything? You doing any non-GMO or organic stuff on the farm at all, or conventional? We we, we haven't. Uh, we live in a what is what's the best way to put it at a botanical garden. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hot, wet, and everything that can grow will grow here. <laughs> Palm Ram Ram will grow two inches a day. Wow. Diseases, insects, uh, 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 weeds, and as, and as Dad's mentioned, you know, in the past, he said, you know, the, the, the escapes that he had, you know, growing up just outside the Midwest or in the Midwest, what we consider escapes is what he considered pressures. So uh, it's just it's, it's a lot more uh, complexity to growing a crop here and uh, growing, I mean, even we had non-dicamba uh, beans we had some enlist beans and they got sprayed i think you know 10 11 times so oh, wow. it's just uh, uh the, the only crop that we have that's not roundup ready is rice and it rice every year usually gets some little bit of roundup drifted onto it so it's a uh, uh and the, a lot of that has to do with inversions in the heat and humidity and, and wind blowing so it's uh, it's a very difficult area to manage and as fast as things grow uh, it's hard to manage against. So you're you're managing weather and pressures. Yeah. Yeah. Back to what you were saying too on TPAP. I've never been, but boy, everybody I talk to just loves it and says it's one of the best tools they've they've ever gone and 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 received. Especially with the and say the same about Danny and and his all he's done for people. So yeah, I think yeah, that's. I, I, 
I've been, my sister's been, and my, my wife has been, and we've all been uh, uh, been to Apex. I was uh, the president a couple of years ago, and uh, I don't know if y'all heard, we got word yesterday that Danny uh, has, uh, Danny passed away yesterday, so it was a oh, hell. real sad moment. And, uh, but uh, I don't know if there's anyone that's done more for modern agriculture production, than, uh, especially from a business standpoint, than Danny Kleinfelter. Now, I can make that argument all day long. He, and for me, he's done, I can't tell you how much he's done for myself. I agree. And that's mostly the shortfalls I'd find. So I was, I was blessed to be on Wall Street and learned a lot about business and business practices and, and a lot of those things. Uh, uh, from some really great CEOs uh, and some and, and traders and investors. But boy, when I kind of, you know, went back home and got more uh, ag centric and helping farmers and helping people on our side of the business, it that really was the shortfall I would see when I'd go out and talk to people is just their business acumen. Uh, you know, the farm, they worked their ass off and worked hard, but man, they just, a lot of them just didn't have the business skills or the business training to make the farm as profitable as they could uh, from a you know business standpoint. So yeah, I thought TPAP, I always heard the folks I'd go out and visit who had been to TPAP, let's put it this way, were a level and a step way ahead of many of the other folks. And I uh, I, I condemn, I, I said, I should say, I, I commend Danny and, and all their efforts and you as well uh, for being a president, you know, for you guys keep putting that on and, and helping people really, uh, really learn more about the business side uh, of, of the operation. And I think that's awesome. So. Yeah, and I would, if anyone's listening, I would highly recommend stop what you're doing right now and go sign up for TPAP. You know, we've even had numerous conversations with guys that were in my group uh, of going back again. And um, yeah. as we said, it would be kind of weird because we feel like we'd be cheating on the group of guys that we were there with because you're with them for a whole week, two separate years. And you get to know everyone so well, but that was the first time you get out of your local area. And like for me, I was talking to, to wine, wine, what grape growers. And uh, there was a guy that was a mink farmer. I didn't even know they made those. You know, just you, you, you find all kinds of people across the U.S. that do what you do. They just do it differently and you can learn from them. And uh, it really just opens your your mind to, you know, there's other things outside your local region. Yeah. Yeah, great peer groups, I guess. What you call it. Yeah, I've heard the same from folks that went. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you. If, if you haven't been, I think, and you've got a farm and you're trying to grow the farm and you're looking for ways to uh, to to improve, I would I would definitely suggest, uh, yeah, signing up. So, And I will say that's the one thing uh, my parents, especially my father, has really pushed on us was uh, continuing, continuing education, you know, uh, throughout, you know, not just high school and college and graduate school, but even just continuing every year to go back and learn more you know or if you if you don't understand enough about this topic of something that you're doing if you need more economic work go get more agronomic training if you need more business training get more business training but continue to push on that dad's yeah. always been a, a big pusher on us uh, all of us to do that and i think uh, his, his father was a was a big fan of it also i would agree jordan and i try to make a commitment to go to one or two conferences that aren't even in our wheelhouse you know that are just kind of out there, just completely something not in our wheelhouse and just, you know, commit to going to one or two a year and just seeing if we can't learn from, uh, you know, people in other industries or other sides of things. Like you said there with the mink guys or the guys in the grapes and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I think that's all, I just start, it, it just helps to stir up your mind and, and make you think and about your own operation, a little different perspective. So I think it's great. 
So who okay. uh who was the uh first employee on the farm, Willard? Was it Jeremy or did you guys have employees before Jeremy came back? No, no, we had employees before Jeremy came back. Even as a child growing up, we always kept two or three men around. Back in that day, the the rule in the Mississippi Delta was you had to be able to cultivate around in three days. So you, every whatever you grow, and you had to have enough cultivating power and tractor power to get around about every three or four days when it, the weeds were growing bad. So we had tremendous weed pressure down there. So back in them days, we were all row crop, cotton and beans. We cultivated steady, uh, sprayed underneath or sprayed over top, and and ain't no telling how many hours we cultivated. So yeah, we always had two or three two or three helpers, and we grew rice. And back then, rice was all levees, and as Jeremy said, we irrigated and it was, you know, he grew around. I always used to have two or three fellows. I think most of the fellows I had back then, I hate to admit it, have all passed away. <laughs> you know, the uh, as I've got older, I look around and, ooh, I've lost a whole lot of helpers over the years. But uh, I always enjoyed yeah. a lot of them. I worked a lot of them a lot of times. There were some of them long-term employees we had that worked 20, 30 years for me. And you guys, how many guys up to now, 25 or so, or? Jeremy, I'll let you answer that question. The whole team, when we have everybody here, it's 30 between the two businesses. Wow. That's a handful. That's that's plenty to manage. And it's, uh, I think that's the complexity of our crops is numerous times, because we have four different crops, we start planting one crop, and then, you know, two months later, you're on two or three other crops, but you unhook your planter, and then you hook it up to a grain cart, and then you start harvesting, you harvest for four months, too. So it's uh, the, the seasons are just much longer here uh, for us, and uh, there's always something to be uh, to be done. We'll be, uh, I'm, we'll start harvesting corn tomorrow, and I'm still watering corn today. So uh, it gives you an, an idea of where we are, and we'll probably still be watering, unfortunately, corn next week, too. But it, at 100 degrees, it does not take long for corn to dry out down here. And uh, uh, so we, we'll be harvesting all the way. Uh, hopefully, we'll have everything done by October, but now we'll probably be harvesting some cotton in October for sure. What moisture does that corn come off at, usually? This will be around 28 to 30. We're going to uh, kind of get, get – uh, we want to uh, – we have a little bit that we planted in February, that couple hundred acres that we want to go ahead and get the kinks worked out this week. And then next week, we'll probably have another uh, five, six hundred acres uh, to harvest. And then we just kind of, uh, we plant our, our corn when we when we have good windows. Yeah. Or what we perceive as being a good window. You know, you know, if you have a good window about a month after you did it. And uh, uh, that's sometimes we can plant in February, but we'll plant from the end of February all the, all the way up to the uh, 10th to 15th of April. And at that point in time, we need to be planting soybeans. So those planters swap out and start planting soybeans. And then at the end of April, we need to have all of our soybeans planted and get ready to start planting our cotton. And by the first week of uh, May, have all of our cotton planted. Yeah. How are you finding your help? Are you get, bringing anybody in on a work visas or are you just finding them down low? We, we, we do both. We've been using the H-2A program since, I think, 2008. We've been getting guys from uh, South Africa to work with us. And, That's what uh, I was going to ask. Uh, yeah, we, we use that program and have used it for years, and it's been uh, really good to us. We've uh, kept up with uh, a lot of the guys that have, uh, you know, as my wife says, you know, some of these guys come up here, those young young boys, and leave as men because uh, they just they come in at 18, 19 years old and leave 23, 24, and then the 
go back, get married, have kids, and then they'll show us how old we, we're getting. Uh, but it's uh, um, we've used that program for a while, and it's been it's been really good good for us. Uh, you know, that program's had a lot of success. There's a lot of people that are using the program, so it's uh, uh, and it's uh, not only in South African, but a lot of uh, uh, people use that program for, for uh, Hispanic and different parts of agriculture. Yeah. We've heard a lot of good success. Uh, there's more South Africans even going up more northern areas. And, you know, their guys have had a lot of good luck with them, said they're hard workers, a lot of them. So, yeah, it's been good. Yeah, what all what all are you guys doing on the trucking side of things? You guys mainly just hauling grain for yourselves, obviously, and then like other producers in the area or? So uh, we've got, a, like I said, we run our trucks, but we run our, our main business is to haul the grain, on, the grain and the fiber off the farm and either to our bins to the gin and then away from the gin and just uh, the whole logistics of uh, fall, uh, uh, fall harvest are uh, the main purpose of the farm or, or the trucks. But we've uh, over the years developed, dad and mom developed a big uh, fertilizer business of hauling a lot of fertilizer, liquid fertilizer uh, to fields and dry fertilizer to fields. So uh, if uh, you're a, a chemical supplier or fertilizer supplier and you have a uh, storage tank that needs to be filled once a year, they uh, they would do that. And then when it was time to go to the field, you had short windows and you had producers that wanted uh, uh, their fertilizer uh, brought to them, you know, three times a day, you know, three needed three truckloads a day. Uh, the, the trucks would haul it back and forth. And that was kind of the, the big business, uh, still is big business for us. And then uh, we'll, if it's, if the Walmart needs to be built, we'll haul the dirt for uh, the, the foundation for Walmart. If they're paving roads, we'll haul aggregates for that. I would say there's, um, the business was designed around the 150 mile radius around us. If someone needed a truck, we tried to have a trailer that we could haul for it. It's, I would say that you can chip in the, the, the the market has changed dramatically over the years, but we're still trying to provide a good service uh, with good, uh, good drivers and good equipment. Well, it's like any business, the customer base changes, the customers change, the demand changes for different products. But as long as you can provide that service and, and, and keep good equipment and good personnel, there's always money to be made there. And, and then, like he said, the big reason for it is when we come fall, you can't have a combine sit. You got to have trucks, and you got to have those trucks get. What happened is, I tell them the combines didn't get kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the trucks stayed the same size. So we're really we have to have more equipment to get that stuff from a combine to a grain bin. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just think it's important that you guys great business lesson is that, and people are trying to figure this out more and more. It's you know, getting the assets that you have sitting on the farm or any business that you have sitting idle, how can you turn those, how can you turn that equipment or those assets into more profitable tools? And that's what you guys did with the trucking business. And, you know, there's a lot of farms that have a lot of grain hopper trucks sitting around that they're only using, you know, a fraction of the time or, or equipment a fraction of the time. And I think that's what you've seen happen with Uber or Airbnb, or, you know, you're just taking an asset that someone has and and turning it into uh, something that uh, produces income or produces revenue. So, yeah, I think that's awesome. Anything that we've seen where something has slowed us down or we've had to stop because of a reason, we get hyper-focused on making sure that doesn't happen again. So, you know, the, the good thing is, like I said, we need our fertilizer when everybody else needs our fertilizer. So 
we'll have when we go to the field one or two trucks are just bringing our fertilizer to us that'll stay dedicated to us but then we use the rest of them to go help everybody else but we always make sure that or let's just say uh, there's always a lineup so you can't get backed up so we'll just go fill all of our stuff up when no one else is doing it we just kind of we try to work in the gaps that no one else is to make you know as i told someone i can order my fertilizer when everybody else does but i know if i order it two days before everybody else does it's there and i did it when my truck didn't need anything so that truck was more profitable working for us but it doesn't really matter he's just more profitable and that's what we try to look at is it doesn't matter what we're doing how can we make it as, as efficient as we possibly can uh, and do it with less people less trucks uh less equipment less inputs and, and uh, uh but still have the job done correctly right right yeah are your are your drivers all running full time? So what you said you had eight drivers. Are they all full time? They just drive. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a commercial trucking business that is separate from the farm. That is a full that has full time truck truck drivers. That uh, they they uh, the drivers don't. You'll get on a combine or uh, sweep a grain bin. Uh, they just they're they're moving. They're kind of like a, a pilot in an airplane. They need to be flying every day. Mm -hmm. And do, do you guys have a lot of turnover in drivers or? Yes, we have. I would say uh, Elizabeth uh, would be able to speak to the turnover. The rate of turnover has become less here recently. Uh, I think, you know, one year it was like, I don't, I don't say a number, but it was a lot. <laughs> there was all, it seemed like someone was getting oriented every day. And there, there still is a, a good uh, uh, turnover. And it seems like it's always one or two. The, the first one in is, or the last one in is the first one out as far as the drivers go. And we have some guys that have worked with us uh, uh, for a long time. We had a couple of years ago, we had a, a driver that has started on the farm uh, working with us and then moved over to the uh, trucking business. And uh, he passed away, unfortunately, probably four or five years ago, I think. And uh, But the big joke was, I think he came to go work on the farm when my mother was pregnant with myself. And uh, uh, she, we always joked that who was, the, who was the last son my mother had, he was or I was. <laughs> and uh, uh he's just with us for for the longest time so we we do have some good great long-term employees and we still like everybody else we struggle with there's just not a whole list of really great guys that want to uh or drive truck work on a farm you know uh, uh, work in a factory uh, wait tables uh cook at restaurants it seems like everywhere there's people that are struggling to get fully staffed these days I think a lot of people like that, uh, you know, maybe to work from home, maybe work on their computer for four hours a day. <laughs> what do you think? I think that's uh, that's what we're finding. Yeah, we don't find a lot of people lining up to uh, do anything real difficult. So, Well, I thought y'all were hiring that job. Yeah, I hear you. That's what we always keep getting. You know, people are like, oh, we want to work from, yeah, we were, we're out in California, we want to work from home. And I'm like, nah, we're good. So I don't know. <laughs> Definitely, it, 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 is, it is a challenge. I do feel like there's some efficiencies to be gained and there's some reasons and some uh, certain industries where people can work from home and be very sure. productive. And it doesn't make a lot of sense for certain businesses to put up great brick and mortar buildings. Uh, but at the same time, it's not for everything. It's kind of really hard to go sweep a grain bin remotely. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So, so what about uh, what about the plane business you guys own? Tell us a little bit more about that. Is that just strictly like crop spraying planes? Or you have, so we have ownership? 
We have ownership in an air application business. We run a, um, three, they run three airplanes down there. Um, um, and uh, we do uh, liquid, for, uh, not liquid fertilizer, liquid uh, chemistries, either uh, uh, fungicides, insecticides, or herbicide work. And then also we do a lot of uh, dry fertilizer work uh, out, of, out of the machines. And they're, I mean, the machines are, are big with the, we have a 400 gallon machine, a 600 gallon and an 800 gallon. And they, uh, they're able to do uh, uh, variable rate dry work and variable rate uh, liquid work too. So they're very advanced uh, and they can cover a lot of acres in a hurry. Um, and as like Dad said earlier, uh, there's a lot of pressures here. So you might get into a two week wet spell, but guess what? The insects are still in the cotton. So you have to get them sprayed and uh, uh, weeds still grow, uh, even though you can't get a ground machine across the field. But, you know, if you get a ground machine across the field, sometimes you can, you can do the job, but if you can't, you can, I'd say lose a crop, but you can lose a lot of money uh, uh, very rapidly if you can't manage it tightly. And the airplanes, allow the air business allows uh, producers to uh, uh, just manage that risk and get caught up on things when they need to. Is that is that something you guys bought into? Was that a pre-existing business you guys bought into, or it, it was a pre-existing business that uh, we had uh, uh, purchased assets and uh, started a, a new one with, and it's uh, uh, was a, a couple other producers and a pilot uh, that we went together and uh, uh, and started the uh, uh, or continued, I guess, the business uh, uh, and have uh, grown it uh, also. As your dad said, anything you thought you might have to wait on, you just go ahead and, like us, invest in it and start your own, and away you go, right? You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait anymore. And we put a, a, a warehouse in, or we purchased a building to, to warehouse all of our seed and chemicals uh, for that same reason. We we go ahead and get them all delivered preseason when no one else is doing anything, and we have all of our chemistries and all of our seeds sitting there, waiting to be treated. Uh, we'll treat our own, and uh, but that way, when it's time to go to the field, we're not sitting in line waiting for this, or they run out of that product, and it's you know it's in the next state. It'll be here in two days. We could just walk out there and go find it. Now, there's also inventory and cash flow uh, uh, reasons that you have to be careful with that. Uh, but it's it's from an operational standpoint and being able to execute when you have that window, it's been priceless for us. What's the next thing you guys are looking at? What are you What are you going into next? Are you just gonna try and get more and more efficient at the ones you got? I think efficiency is uh, uh, it's just on the conversation that we've been talking about the efficiencies of harvest, whether it's grain drying, grain storage, uh, moving uh, logistics. That whole piece is uh, is a big thing that we're gonna have to focus on, and and then it's the uh, making sure that you can secure all your inputs. When you need them, you know, um, the last thing you want to do is have a big corn crop in the ground you can't get your fertilizer for, or you get, you're ready to go harvest and there's no diesel fuel. Um, there's a, a disruption in the diesel fuel chain and you can't get product in your, you lose a week. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I think infrastructure is going to allow us to, to uh, continue to uh, lower our cost of production and uh, be much more efficient. There's, like I said, there's not a line of people that are wanting to come work in any industry right now. So you've got a few people that can, you can't work them to death. 
but you need to work them as efficiently as possible to where they can get two or three times done. As I said, my brother and I, we carried, you know, 30 foot joints of aluminum and plastic pipe across a uh, cornfield. We can't do that today. There, we, no one would ever make it. When We've got a lot more cornfields to carry it across also. We didn't have as many fields as we were trying to irrigate, but we roll out our poly pipe at a, uh, we do 100 miles of poly pipe every year with one crew. We just learned how to pick the efficiencies up. And I think that allows us to lower our costs, be more productive, and then allows for more growth, not only for the operation, but for the, uh, the team that works here too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, tell where me, you guys where, where do you guys deliver into corn and corn and beans? All of our corn goes to the chicken feed mill industry in Mississippi. So we're a corn deficit state. Uh, there will be some corn that's exported just because of timing and storage. It goes to the port. We're very close to the port of New Orleans, uh, oh. relatively speaking. Uh -huh. uh, so that's where all of our soybeans go also. So you got some good basis levels down there, I'm sure. Yeah, we're, 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 we're 45 minutes to the, the river and everything gets put on a barge and shipped down the river. Nice, nice. So, perfect. Yeah, How's the water? And I was, yeah. I was, uh, we got water. I was looking on your guys' website and I noticed all the newsletters you guys do every quarter. When, when did you guys get started with that? Seems like you're pretty consistent with it as well. Well, that, you would make my wife really happy by saying that Elizabeth does uh, the newsletters and Dad and I chuckle. We we write an article, we send it to her, and I think the only thing she leaves in the article is our name at the top. Uh, <laughs> edits it really you know, nice. Yeah, she edits. She edits uh, it's kind of like when we got married. She she edited all the stuff out of, my, out of the house and all of her stuff in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she does... Uh, she, so Elizabeth, just a little family background, Elizabeth... Uh, does all the human resources and public relations and that also entails all the safety and compliance on the operation uh, for both businesses. Uh, Stacy does all the marketing of the crops, uh, all the financials and uh, um, I'd say risk management with uh, insurance. Uh, but the, the newsletter and the social media has been uh, Elizabeth's uh, uh, thing, especially the newsletter. She does a, spends a lot of time making sure that goes out on every quarter we did a couple of them before she came back and if you go back to look at like the first two or three i think that's one of the reasons she came to work with us because they were so poor uh and uh, she came back she's like you got to do better than this and she does she does a really good job with them and she tries she she grew up not working on a farm she didn't grow up on a farm uh she, her dad was a, a stockbroker and uh, she grew up in a bigger city so she has an understanding of what it's we take for advantage that everybody that I talk to knows what 28005 is. And she yeah. understands that nobody that she talks to knows what that even is or what, yeah. what fertilizer is or liquid fertilizer is, or, you know, uh, fruit comes from the grocery store. So it's, and I would say we've probably had more that we have numerous people, the newsletter, it goes out all over the place. And we have people that are just very random that come by and, met the farm one time and have come by and seen us and uh, uh, sign up for it and just thank us for informing them where their food comes from and informing them about agriculture. And I think that's the, the main thing that we do that for is just an outreach of uh, education for agriculture. Yeah, it seems like it's, 
it, and I've had some folks come up to me and ask, you know, what do we do? And their kids or their daughter played on a softball team or one, one guy's son played on a little league baseball team. And, uh, the parents that were coaching, I mean, just false information about food, false information about the farms, just, I mean, just so much craziness, uh, you know, from the media, it's just, it's tough to battle it, but it takes people like you, uh, people like us to keep putting the word out there and try and tell people what really happens on the farm, what really happens with the food and massively important. Again, tip my hat to you guys for putting that out for sure. There's not enough of it. I know that. Thank you. Is there anything, uh, about all I had to ask you guys, but anything else you guys wanted to share or talk about or. There's, there's one thing that we kind of have a motto that I like to say that we live by. We have to do everything faster because we don't have as much time and nobody wants to work as long hours. We have to do it easier because nobody likes that hard work that throwing the bales, square bales gets old. And we have to do it more reasonable or cheaper because that's how we're going to stay competitive in this world. And the, so everything we kind of do, we're driven by that. Of course, we try to be safety is a very, very, very important to this operation as we get more people. You really have to be sure, as, as, as Jeremy said, you not only tell them what to do, but how to do everything to make sure it's done right. And 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 we have to be more productive. I think that's a big thing is, as we look at all of our system, it's evolved. It's how we grow rice has changed five or six times over 10 years, Jeremy. And the system we're using now does look nothing like the system we used 10 years ago. Yeah, that's you know. I almost would say some of our production systems are kind of like, you know, we had the VHS, then the DVD, then you jumped to Blu-ray and uh, HD uh, DVDs, and they lived a very short life to everyone just started streaming everything. That's how some of our practices are. I was like, wow, this is so much better than what we did five years ago. And it's like, well, that was a short-lived practice. We even found somewhere better to do than that. And that's a lot of what, we, what we've seen. And some of that is, uh, I would say, just simple changes, maybe mindset changes, and some of its technology allows us to do it. So, uh, but whatever we can do, as Dad says, if we can do it um, quicker, cheaper, and uh, and safer, uh, that's what we're, we're we're looking at doing across the operation and in a very sustainable way. Because, you know, Dad grew his farm for us. We want to grow our farm for the next generation, and we want that process to continue to go down the road. And that's kind of our our uh, our uh, mission statement is farming for the future. And I think that's all we're looking at everything is how can we be more productive and use less? It's, it's not so we can spend more time uh, uh, playing golf on, you know, Tuesday afternoons at two o'clock It's to, uh, to make the, uh, the operation sustainable long-term for not only our family, but families that are affected uh, by the operation. I think one thing we can say across the board, resounding uh, that we've heard from, all the folks we do these with and they're willing to give back and they've all built multi-generational farming operations or ag businesses is you're lucky, Jeremy, and the people we have on your mom and dad sound like are open-minded to be looking for those things, you know, to be looking for change and, and looking how to implement new things that are going to change the process, improve the process and make it better for you and your brothers and sisters. And then, for your guys' kids. So uh, that, that really seems like the theme, don't you think, Jordan, is the parents set the tone for being open to change and open and accepting and looking 
for ways to to improve. There, we have some that I know, you know, they haven't changed in years and years and years, and they're not looking to change. They don't want to change. So I, you know, I think that's one of the big keys that we're hearing is is that the mom and dad were were open and receptive uh, to the change. Well, Al, look at Will. I mean, moved from Canada down to Mississippi and took some risk and isn't afraid of risk. It doesn't sound like and and uh, and is willing to make some changes. So I think that's the key to key to a lot of success. So. Well, one more thing I will say with regard to that. When Jeremy first came back, we were slaying on some irrigation or something, and I said, no, we're going to change how we do that. He said, well, we've always did it that way, and I stopped him. And I said, son, I never want to hear that out of your mouth again. I never want to hear you say, this is why we do it, because we've always done it this way. You look at it, and if there's a better way, do it. And I've always lived that. Well, that's that's important. That's a great way to end it right there, Jordan. I don't think the message could be any clearer. And I've heard so many people, Willard, through the years tell us, you know, when I'm out talking to them, like, well, that's how my daddy did it and his dad did it, and that's how we're going to keep doing it. And I'm just, okay, but, you know, you're, you're living proof. I think it, that that's the right way is what you're saying. So, good stuff. Yeah, I uh, appreciate you guys taking the time to be on here with us, so. Yeah, hopefully it helps some folks. And, you know, anytime you guys need anything or anything you need from us, we'd love to see you up in Kansas City anytime and come up to the show or whatever we can do for you guys. Let us know. Definitely. And uh, the same here. Come by right. and see us sometime. I always highly recommend July. It's a beautiful time of year here. Uh, <laughs> everything's growing, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun time to come. It's a little, little exactly. warm. We need to get but, down there uh, when we got uh, Ole Miss or uh, Mississippi State playing the uh, Razorbacks, playing the old Arkansas folks. So. There we go. go. Yeah, Jordan's went to school there. So, yeah, hey, we got to come down and check it out sometime. But. I don't know. That game is always raining and it's always cold. Really? Wow. Yeah. The Arkansas game is always the Arkansas State game is always miserably cold and raining, I would say. Oh heck, too funny. So all right. Well, I appreciate it, Willard. Thank you, Jeremy, and best to you and your family. And thank you again for all your time. Thanks for having us on. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye.